Two weeks ago, we began our new series looking at this epistle. We're not sure who the author of Hebrews is, but here is his message that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the Old Testament patriarchs. He's better than the Old Testament sacrificial system. Jesus is a better everything. And because of that, we should listen to him. And so today we're going to pick up with this theme of Jesus being a better messenger. Let me read the passage for us. I'm going to pray, ask for God's help, and then we'll jump into this passage. Okay, so look down with me, would you, at Hebrews chapter 1, the big number 1 and the small number 4. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Verse 7. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared... At first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let's pray. Father, now we just ask for your help, for your guidance, for your wisdom. Lord, we know that without your spirit, this would be a fruitless labor. And yet, Lord, we know that it is you who ultimately builds the house. So come now, Lord, speak to these students, speak to our hearts, Lord, that we may be better for it, that we may see Christ as supreme and worship him as such. We pray this all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. I, um, I grew up in California, and just down the street from my house, there was two different lakes. One we called Cub Lake. Don't know why. It's just called Cub Lake. And the other one was called Four Island Lake. Can you guess why it called Four Island? Because it had four islands, Peyton. Yeah. And so Four Island Lake was a staple during the summer. The water was really dirty, though. So if we ever swam, we'd try not to go. 
you know, past, you know, our shoulders because people got sick in it. But uh, my brothers and I, we, we had kayaks and we would load it up in the truck and we'd drive down and we'd kayak to some of these islands. And some of them, they'd have like a little barbecue pit and we would go fishing and it, it just a lot of fun, a lot of great memories. But a lot of times we would, we would go to the part where the, the lake was by the, the golf course and we would, we would jump in this time. And we get all the golf balls, and, and we're just all day, you know, going from island to island, looking for golf balls. But there'd be times where we just get in the middle of the lake, kind of lay back on the kayak, close our eyes, and just drift, right? And so maybe we, we begin just right by the island. You know, you guys can I imagine that, that summer living. Maybe you got a Coke in your hand, you're kind of just sitting there. Maybe because you've been paddling so much, you're just tired, you can't go anymore. And you're just sitting there, and you're kind of just gently feeling the breeze, and the kayak is just kind of just sitting there. Maybe you think you only closed your eyes for two minutes, but somehow you wake up and you notice that you've drifted almost the entire lake. You're like, how did I get over here? I barely closed my eyes for two minutes, right? And I, I probably fell asleep for like a half hour and, you know, super sunburn and all that good stuff, right? I think what's interesting about that slow drift is that the author of Hebrews in this passage is giving us a similar warning. And to kind of maybe give you my conclusion in my intro, um, what we see in this passage is that there's not a single person who is just passive with their walk with God. That either we are progressing faithfully in walking with Christ or either we are kind of going backwards and being faithless. And so... To say something that's been said probably many times before, there is no such thing as coasting in the Christian life. Um, recently, I, I got to go to D.C. for the first time. That's why I wasn't here last week. Uh, me and Keegan got to see a lot of great things. And, and our, our last day, we had a few hours. We're like, hey, let's check out the Museum of Flight. And if you've ever been to D.C., every single museum there has way more stuff you could spend a whole day in just one of those museums but so we're just walking through and they have this um you know little room all about the wright brothers you know in north carolinians you know i'm sure they love the wright brothers because they were the first men to you know fly a plane and i'm kind of going through and, and it's showing some of their stuff and their real things and I, and I was struck by one of the you know these things that you could read about them that talked about most people only refer to the Wright brothers as the two brothers who were the first men to fly an airplane. And what this plaque was trying to show is how, one, they were really two different people with a lot of history and distinctiveness about them, but most people kind of just characterize them and what they've done, right? You ask most people on the streets, hey, well, what do you know about the Wright brothers? Oh, yeah, those guys who flew a plane. And it just kind of made me think that what this museum was trying to do was trying to give us a more broader understanding and the context of who the actual Wright brothers were. Like any good biography does, right? And many of us could say a few things that George Washington did, right? He was the commander in the, you know, Continental Army. You know, he was the first president of the United States. Some apocryphal story about him cutting down a cherry tree, whatever have you, but a good biography will tell you where they were born, the philosophies of their days. You know, I, I so love reading biographies because here is what we need to understand, that there's more to people than what they do. And I'd like to make the same point about Christ, 
As Christians, a lot of times, we run straight into talking about what Jesus has done. And I think there's good in that. Because what has Jesus done? He has done the work that no one else could do. Namely, that he died on the cross for our sins. And three days later, he rose from the dead. How many men do you see raising themselves three days after being dead? But what the author of Hebrews is trying to direct us towards is not at first, what did namely Jesus do? But rather, who is he? Who is this Jesus? And this is so important to understanding what Jesus did because what we're going to see in the book of Hebrews again and again and again is the author is constantly quoting all of these random passages from the Old Testament. If you just look in your Bible really quick, do you notice that from verses 5 to 13, it's kind of spaced a little weirdly and it's all in quotations? Do you guys, do you guys see that in your Bible? Maybe some translations don't kind of make it as visible. But but, but what the author of Hebrews is trying to do is he's trying to show that Jesus comes in the context of a larger story, of a larger narrative. And so let me just give you a few things to why this is really important to the original audience. The original audience is highly influenced in Second Temple Judaism. Now, to be fair, I have not talked about Second Temple Judaism since my seminary days, but let me just kind of briefly describe to you. So there was a king, he was the third king of, of Israel, and he made a temple. Anyone know his name? Say it out loud if you know it. Solomon. Solomon made the greatest and the most wonderful temple ever, right? If you read about the instructions and how he built it, it was amazing. Okay, a couple hundred years later, the Jews started doing some really bad things, and the Babylonians came and they destroyed it. They plundered the temple, and it was all bad. Seventy years later, though, a guy by the name of Zerubbabel led exiles back into Israel. They laid the foundation, and through some of the work of the minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament, what did they do? They built a second temple. Hence, Second Temple Judaism. And what was distinct about Second Temple Judaism is, one, they're like, we're never having kings again. Kings suck. They're the worst. They led us into all of that idolatry. But two, they're all about education. Does anyone, maybe if you're Jewish or if you have Jewish friends, they're all about the synagogue, right? And passing on the faith, right? They're all still to this day. Jewish people are all about education, but I say all of this, too, to, to make this one point, that in Second Temple Judaism, there was a high fascination with angels. In Second Temple Judaism, the context to which the author is writing, the people are just enthralled with angelic visions. As a matter of fact, we even see this throughout the other epistles, where Paul is even trying to tell the Colossian believers that, hey, it's not that cool to try to talk about worshiping with the Angels. Now, let me say a few things about angels really quick. Um, in our day and age, angels have been just kind of casted down in these TV shows, touched by an angel, my guardian angel, right? Uh, one of my favorite movies growing up, Angels in the Outfield. <laughs> the classic movie, right? Where the angels are helping the, 
the Anaheim Angels, the baseball team, win the World Series, right? And, and, and really, angels have kind of taken on this fictitious sort of, you know, guardian hen person over your life. And I, I just want us to know here that, one, angels really do serve a great purpose for the Lord. Just do me a really quick favor. Look down at verse 14. When speaking about angels, here's what the author of Hebrews says. He says this, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So the author of Hebrews here, he's really, really important verse, because here's this is what he's wanting to say. Angels serve the church, serve the body of Christ by being ministers who send out the message to those who inherit salvation. But imagine being someone who is highly influenced in Second Temple of Judaism. And someone tells them about Jesus, tells them about that he's the coming Messiah, tells them about how he is ultimately the true king of all kings, and that this king died on the cross to save them from their sins. And this person believes this message. And this person says, yeah, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to be a, a Messianic Jew. But then begins to kind of say, well, this Jesus person, he's okay. But I kind of like my old way of doing things. And what am I doing right now? Slowly drifting. Slowly drifting. Here's my main point tonight. Because Christ is a better word, we must pay careful attention. Because Christ is a better word, we must pay careful attention. And what we see in these couple of verses and in this warning passage is that the author is showing us one truth and one warning. One truth and one warning. Here is the truth. Jesus is a better word. Look down with me in chapter four, or uh, chapter one, verse four. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. So right off the bat, no questions asked. Here is the truth for you. Christ is superior to the angels. And namely, the first reason is because he has a better name. Now, what the author is trying to do is trying to show, hey, listen, angels have their place. They are really good. It is a good word. But Jesus is a much better word, right? I, I like that talking about Jesus is a better word because sometimes I might come up to a friend and I say like, hey, man, what's the word? What's the talk? You know, do you ever kind of maybe hear your friends like, hey, I got some news. How was your weekend? What's the word, right? And I might come to you as, maybe as a pastor and say, hey, hey, I got a good word for you, man. And I go, what's up? What's the word? And here, ultimately, the author of Hebrews is trying to lift our visions, lift our ears a little bit to hear this better word. That imagine... One of your siblings comes up to you and says, hey, man, I got some really good news. I got a good word for you. You're like, well, what is it? Mom and dad said that we're going to Hawaii this summer for vacation. You're like, dang, bro. That's what's up. 
That's a good word. Right? But then your mom overhears this conversation and says, oh, but I have a much, much better word. (laughs) That afterward, we're going on a cruise. Like, what? (laughs) Assuming that you want to go to Hawaii and go on a cruise, right? It's a much better word, you see? And it's interesting what the author of Hebrews is doing. He actually gives us, and I'm just going to go really quick through this. He gives us four reasons why Jesus has a better word than the angels. One, he says, because he has a better name. And what that name is, is that Jesus has been given the name Lord. Okay? Now, you know, there's some pretty cool angels. Someone help me out here. What are some angels in the Bible that you may have heard their names? Gabriel. Michael. Hey, you all right? I was looking for that. Lucifer, right? Right? Todd. Todd the angel. I don't think so. I don't think so. So here's the thing, though. Because Jesus, the Son, has been given a better title, Lord, here's what this means. It means that Jesus has been appointed as the reigning Lord. I mean, guys, just think about it. Like, um... Sometimes, like, you know, you go to a restaurant and something bad happens in the service. And imagine, you know, the water boy says, let me try to take care of your problem for you. And you're like, I appreciate that you work here and that you're concerned. But I need the higher authority here. Let me talk to the manager. Let me talk to the boss, right? And sometimes, you know, you've maybe even heard your parents on the phone kind of get really angry or maybe they're at a restaurant or Kimberly, Red Lobster for life, right? <laughs> yeah. True. I heard that. Right? Maybe you heard your parents before kind of say, I need to speak to a manager. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that too, right? I tell you what, it's a really quick, quick story about that. Something happened this summer where I had to, what was it? Oh, okay. So they messed up my food order. Just completely messed it up. And, and I called this place, and I was like, hey, man, you got to redo this. Like, I paid a lot of money for this, and I'm not the kind of person to just call in. And, hey, I'm talking, Leah. And, and um, he's like, ah, uh, I, I don't know. Um, okay, I guess I'll do something. Call back tomorrow. Okay. So call back the next day. I'm like, hey, man, I called. Uh, I'm sorry. I went and asked, and I can't do anything. I'm like, all right, let me talk to the manager. Well, I am the manager. Well, then who the heck did you just go talk to? <laughs> like, what in the world? I was pretty upset about that. And then I was kind of like, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not letting this one go. He's like, fine, just come in, and we took care of it. Thanks for that distraction, by the way. <laughs> the second reason why Jesus has a better word is because he is the object of praise of the angels. Now, now here's what the author of Hebrews does, and I don't have time to do it all. He is quoting and quoting and quoting again all of the Old Testament and referring to Jesus. Now, now, if you guys are holding a Bible, you know, there's a lot of pages that come before Hebrews, and most of it is your Old Testament. And here's what we need to see, that Jesus really helps us make sense of the Old Testament. But imagine for a second, when Jesus is born, he grows up, and he begins to declare when angels are there. The author of Hebrews is like, no, 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 no. Look what it says 
Um, excuse me, look what it says, oh, where is it? In verse six, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. You know, I think of Christmas, think of the Christmas story when Jesus is born, shepherds are in the field, and a whole host, heavenly angels, declare the birth of the Son. The third reason that the author of Hebrews says Jesus is a better word is because Jesus is king, namely, that he has a better, he has a better anointing and he has a better reign. Jesus has a better throne than the angels. And so I just want to say really quick, guys, there are a lot of things I could say about angels. And I think sometimes people come up to me and they ask me questions about angels and demons. And, and, and my, my flesh just wants to tell them, who cares? We can get so distracted talking about angels and guardian angels and all these things and completely miss the picture and miss the point. And what is the point? That Jesus is much better than any word that any angel ever gave. Angels are indeed remarkable, but they pale in comparison to the glory of the Redeemer, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now, with all of that said, you kind of think, okay, I get the point. Pretty simple point. I see what he's doing here. Jesus is better than the angels. And it's tempted to leave it right there. But the author of Hebrews has a very important implication to make from this. Guys, listen. This next point is, is extremely important for you to hear. And what he does in the second point is he gives a warning. And here is what this warning is. Guys, listen. Look at me. Here's the warning. Pay attention to the word about Jesus. Pay attention Look what he says. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The audience of Hebrews are being tempted to turn away from Christ. They are tempted to go into apostasy, into unbelief. And the author of Hebrews is trying to say, guys, listen don't lose sight of who Jesus is. You must pay close attention. I almost am really encouraged by what he's saying in verse one. Because a lot of times at youth group, do you know what I'm always kind of saying? Hey guys, listen. Hey guys, hey, look at me. Hey guys, pay attention, right? I'm constantly trying to draw you in because what we say about Christ is not a normal word. We live in a world of constant information, of constant articles. On my phone every single day, I'm probably zooming through 30 different articles. We have more information and more messages coming at us than any generation in history. And the temptation, therefore, is to not actually hear or to listen to the most important message. Now, you can have a message on your phone that says, hey, make sure to dress like this. If you want to be cool, have these kind of shoes. You might read articles about how to be a better sports player, how to be a better musician, how to do better um, you know, college scholarships. There's so much information on your phone, on your TV. But imagine you get home tonight and an angel is in your room. And he gives you some words of advice. Like the whole angelic and he's bright and it's like, whoa. Imagine if you had an angel. But imagine even more that the word 
about Christ is even greater than that. And it's right here. It's this word about Christ that we must pay attention to. And so guys, can I just tell you really quick, one of the dangers of our society, and one of, I think, the implications for you is that we need to learn how to navigate trying to decide which messages that we hear so much are worthy of our focus. And what the author of Hebrews is doing in this warning, he's doing this, he's trying to say, we must give the utmost attention to the most worthy of all messages. The message concerning who Jesus is. Look back down with me at verse 11 and 12, chapter 1. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Jesus is unlike anything that is created. It's interesting that the author of Hebrews, quoting from the Old Testament, describes the world being rolled up like a dirty garment. Everything that you see in your life is temporary. Every issue that you have in your life is temporary. But Jesus is eternal. This is a message that it should have our utmost attention. And I love how he says in verse 2, or excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 2, therefore. Anytime you read the word therefore, you should always think, what, what, what is this therefore, therefore? He is trying to take all of the theology that he just made, and he's trying to draw out an implication. It's like what we talked about two weeks ago. If Jesus is the better word, how much more then should we lend our ears to God's word. And so with the angels being great messengers for the church, but Christ being superior, the author of Hebrews wants us to be warned. I don't think we have enough warnings in our life when it comes to our faith. You know, we have warnings about seatbelts, Maybe some warning from our parents or from our friends. But how many people say, hey, I'm worried about your soul. I'm worried about you not really knowing Christ. Let me just be very open with you right now. I don't come to Sunday nights and I see you guys and I try to look into your hearts and to know whether or not you're really a Christian. I don't have spiritual eyes to see whether or not someone's truly saved or if someone's just saying they believe in Jesus. But, but can I just say, in a room this size, the temptation is to assume that because you're here, you're a Christian. But may I just add, that would be a foolish thing to do. The chances are that there are probably not just a few, but maybe even a lot of you who may say that you trust Christ, but in your heart, functionally speaking, you do not know him. And so yet yeah, the, the warning stands for you. Do not slowly drift away from hearing this word about Christ. Every single one of us, whether you know it or not, we are either taking steps towards faithfully following Christ or we are taking steps that are going 
faithlessly against Christ. And here's the real danger in it. The author of Hebrews here is using nautical illustrations, the language of drifting away. Just like when you're in a kayak, you close your eyes, and you think that you've only been asleep for two minutes, but you've drifted so far down. I just just hope and pray that you guys learn to heed the warnings. And here ultimately is the warning. If you are someone who is just really apathetic, really bored, that has no interest in the Bible, that through your week you rarely think about God and following Christ, I think the warning for you is that you are drifting You are drifting away from this word. You are not paying attention. Because here is what he says after this. Verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, in essence, since God held people accountable to the the message that angels gave, look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. In essence, if God proved the message of the Old Testament to be faithful and judged people according to what they obeyed, how much more then will God also use the message of his Son? This is a great warning. It is saying, don't think that you can escape this great salvation if you are not listening to God's word. And so I know I'm being a little doom and gloom right now. But I think what we need to think now is how? How then do I pay more closely? How do I give more attention to the word of God? And I think and one of my most favorite verses that I, I think I quote, I mean, maybe like half the times I preach, I always quote this verse. Romans 10, 13. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You see, what I really appreciate about the author of Hebrews is, is this. He is trying to say to his readers, there is only one safe harbor, and that harbor is in Christ. And the danger of not paying attention is to slowly drift and to pass this harbor and to lose all hope for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins. But the way to be safely anchored in that harbor of Christ is to hear again and again and again that in Christ there is a safe harbor. Let me just say it again and again and again. The reason why we're here is not just to give you more Bible information, not just to give you something to do on your Sunday night, but it's to grow your love and your faith and your affections for the person of Christ. Because it is only in Christ where we can be safe from a God who will punish us for our sin. It is only in Christ where we can be safely anchored through all the storms of life. And so just to be repetitive, the main point of this entire passage is this, that because Christ is a better word, we must pay closer attention. 
Let us not neglect looking at this word. Let us not neglect caring about the gospel. Let us not neglect taking God's word seriously on a day-to-day basis. And last thing I'll say. Show me a person who has little care or attention to the word of God, and I will show you a person who is drifting away from a safe harbor in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would give us faith, faith to trust the better word that is in Jesus. Lord, at times we are so bogged down with so many different messages and so many different people and things in our life. And Lord, we lose sight of who Jesus is. But Lord, I pray that we would heed the warning. Give us faith to do this. Give us faith to know that Christ is a better word, that in him there is life, there is safety, and there is rescue. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.